The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkie. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope Christmas and the new year are shaping up to be a good time for you. This is episode 28 of the Rookie Adult Version, part one of the Q&A we do at the end of each podcast novel. We recorded this episode live on Sigler in Place, our weekly live stream we do every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, 2 a.m. GMT. We recorded this episode on November 30th, 2022, which is my birthday. We will record part two of the Rookie Q&A on Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. If you want to join in on the fun, you can watch the live stream at facebook.com slash scottsigler, youtube.com slash scottsigler, and twitch.tv slash scottsigler. We would love to have you on any of those platforms. Come hang out with me, a real girl herself, and all the junkies in the chat room. The show's getting bigger all the time. It's a lot of fun. It's a really good time to hang out with all your fellow Sigler fans in the chat room and jabber about what's going on. What you are about to hear is the live, unedited audio from that live stream, where I answer a ton of junkie questions about the rookie adult version and many other things in the Sigler Force. It's a freeform, slapdash, bunch of fun, and we also have a surprise guest from the Sigliverse on the show. So shift your brain into easy mode and enjoy the rookie adult version Q&A part one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my goddamn birthday. <laughs> I'm having the best birthday ever. As you guys know, I tend to work a lot. Today, I got up. And uh, sitting on the couch with my puppies, talking to my wife, having a good having a good time. Like, yeah, what? I'll see if I can get a little a little video game going. Turned on Fortnite. Called in a, a friend. Six and a half hours later, <laughs> I'm, still, I'm like, what do you mean it's two <laughs> thirty? Where did the day go? It was. Listen, you guys know this. I have known Scott or been working with Scott since uh, essentially November two thousand eight. I have. Never seen him take uh, a day off for his birthday. I have seen him go to lunch for his birthday or maybe um, cop off a little early for his birthday. I've never seen him celebrate his birthday. And you guys know me. I celebrate starting the first day of June, yeah. even though my birthday is at the end of June. Yeah. So this was quite amazing. It was really, really fun. Uh, uh, you are drinking this evening a Brown Derby, one of your favorite craft cocktails. One of the things that got you and Mr. Rob Otto, who is also in the chat room, also celebrating a birthday today. Yep. Uh, and our good friend, uh, Dr. Daniel Baker, Ph.D., um, into craft cocktailing. I got to um, tell you. I got to tell you. I guess a side story, quick side story. Are you sure that's on? Yeah, it is on. You see, it's right in my face. There's something on the screen. I'll just hold on. This is my mom back in the day. This is my mother pulling. I have some dirt on my mouth. My mom would pull a hanky or paper towel out like, of her purse and do this. It's better than a bra. And literally. Oh, he did it. 
and literally wiped spit on my face in hey, public. Akil, nice to see you. Nelson, nice to see you. Oh, yeah. Well, you that's, and your human, nice to see you. That's guys. why Carol's in the sanitarium at this well, point. Well, she's not. But oh, before well, we continue, be, there are, yes. there, we, this is a different sort of an episode. This is a live Q&A episode for the podcast that just ended. You guys already know that. You also know it is Scott's birthday today. Scott and our dear friend, Rob Otto, were born on the same day. And Rob is in the chat room. It is also his birthday tonight. So thank you so much for spending your special day uh, with us. This and, is crazy. And uh, the day gets more and more special. We're going to give you a, a quick sneak peek at the guest cam. Ladies and gentlemen, with us today will be Big John Descar. Yes. <laughs> Got ah! the John Tweedy head going. <laughs> so good. Fantastic. So good. All right, John, we'll get back to you in one second. Let's get back to the main camera here. We so, do have, wait, hang oh, on. We yep. have a couple. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and do that. Uh, this is probably the best show ever. As I mentioned, Big John is on with us. It's my birthday. We don't have, I didn't do any of this shit. Junkie Pets Siglibrations. No, no, wait, they're, they're just, you just read it. It's going to be next week after oh, the Q&A. Junkie Pets Siglibrations, Junkie Picks will be after the Q&A, except next week will probably also be a Q&A. Yeah, yeah, so it may be after that. So, but but it's got, the right thing because we've got 60 billion questions. Questions, so. questions, and uh, more questions. Uh, first of all, let's make sure we, um, if you send an SMS text, 855-955-5095 to, oh snap, what's coming up? Send Sig text that number, and when we launch our new website, you'll get 10% off on the store. I got a cheesecake I tried birthday. to think about a magic a Look, that, that would looks, allow you know Rob to blow out a candle, If you look at too. it from here, this is like a whole Cthulhu thing going, I'll swallow your soul, infinite mortal. But Fine, I couldn't do that, mortal. so Scott's going to blow out a candle for himself and for oh, Rob. Oh, you're so sweet. Yay, there we go. happy birthday to you. That's a, a peanut butter cup cheesecake cupcake, which is his favorite. So, Rob, all the times we were young and I got mad at you, and I told you, I'm going to snuff you out like a candle. That was... That's basically all we got. Text. Okay, don't forget. Oops, info and empty set. Any, we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> newsletter. Turn off that. Uh, ScottSigler.com slash newsletter to sign up for the newsletter. And as we have mentioned before, soon we will start to do something we're not sure what on the Cast app. Go to castapp.co. Oh, yeah, sure. We're so it's excited. It's a free download. Guys. We're going to do a bunch of fun stuff. We're not going to get into it right now. Become the new year. Yeah, we're going to be rolling out some stuff. We're going to roll out some stuff. It's very exciting. Uh, also, you guys uh, know that our good friend Steve Rickyberg, every first Saturday of the month, hosts a several hour long, I think it's seven hours long, um, happy hour for you guys all around the world to join. You don't have to go for the whole time. Go ahead and join. I'll probably be there on Saturday night. I know I've said that the last couple of times, but this time I really will be there because we're not leaving the house again until January. So I'll definitely be there for that. You'll see my Christmas tree, all sorts of stuff coming Thank you, join Jude. us. Um, and, uh, if you, like I said, you don't have to join the whole time. You can join for part of it. Um, so let's see what else we have. Uh, I told you Scott's drinking a uh, Brown Derby, uh, tonight. Yep. He's having peanut butter cup cheesecake tonight. Yep. And I think we're ready to move on. Uh, we've already celebrated your birthday. We want, do you want to talk about the books? Let's talk about the books. We got a momentous thing coming up that we're going to get into the Q and the A as they say in the profession. I would like to point out, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, let you know several times that if you happen to be an Audible customer and you happen to have listened to Mount Fitzroy, you should go leave a delightful, lovely review. We are now at 3,998. Uh, we are going to celebrate madly when we get to 4,000. I just did the ticker like a Jerry Lewis. Two. Nope, two more to two. go out of nowhere. So at 4,000, those are some big boy numbers. We are quite excited. Earthcore, of course, still doing very well there. If you've not heard Ray Porter's Earthcore and Mount Fitzroy in succession. 
Uh, you absolutely should. Even if you've read the print books, I highly recommend it. It's a great listening experience. And it's a girthy listening experience. Earthcore it Alone is, is uh, how long is that some bitch? 20, 23 hours? It's very, very long. And uh, they're, they're strong. For your buck. And it's bound to get the friction the friction on. And then, of I think course, friction on works too. Bound to get, long and strong, about <laughs> to get the friction on. That's why I married her. That's fantastic. And The Rookie is well over 1,000 reviews now, uh, 1,170. But again, Audible customer, re go review those these things. If you happen to have got those books from Amazon, go review them on Amazon. Vote up other reviews that are super positive, and that helps us out. Leave your own review. Leave five stars if you can. All of that stuff is glorious. And now we're going to move on to The Rookie, ladies and gentlemen. We just posted the final episode of The Rookie Adult Version, episode number 27. It's all done. Those of you who got to celebrate it, whether you listen to it on the podcast, whether you get it from our site, whether you watch it on YouTube, it's never really watch it. It's a screen, yeah, 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 right. but you can listen to it. It's uh, it's done. It was very fun. A lot of the old school, old timer junkies had a great time listening to that because it, it brought back the memories of the old day. Old days. When was that? Two thousand eight? Uh, no, no, 2007. Nine, eight? Well, well, we'll wait a minute, John. When he wait did... a minute. <laughs> Hello, John. Hello, John. John, Hello. When, when exactly did we podcast the rookie for the, for first, the time? first time? I believe it was 2007. I'm 2007. Sure. Now, if there's anybody who is watching tonight and does not recognize this luminous human who has just joined us on the screen with his John Tweedy hat, um, this is John Viscar. We call him the continuity czar of the Sigliverse. He's also a dear friend of ours. And, Thanks, Matt. Uh, does so much to help make this whole machine run. So we're super happy to have you for all the questions that we normally say. I don't know. Maybe John uh, would know. <laughs> we're Matt, doing a Matt, Matt Burkle, the screen moved when I went to reply to you. So I may have banned you for life oh, from the chat room, which happens about once every other week. And I do not have time to fix it right now. But hopefully if... What uh, was his question? He said, he said uh, happy birthday. Oh, And I went to <laughs> okay. respond to say uh, thank... No, he said he loved the rookie. I went to respond to it, and I may have sent you to and Purgatory. Matt, what? Matt, Matt Burkle. So, B-U-R-K-L-E. Matt, if you're out there, sorry about that. We'll get that fixed. Let's get back to the main screen so John isn't glaring at me like, how do you not know how to work technology? <laughs> I was going to say, quick side story and get into the questions. Uh, Dr. Daniel Baker, PhD, is in the room. Ah, hello. I just sent off the final, final draft of, uh, of the Crip Book One Shakedown. Dr. Daniel Baker, Ph.D., is in the acknowledgments for having mm -hmm. helped with some chemistry and some physics questions in that amongst an absolute murderer's row of experts in their field who helped with that story. And I emailed everybody like, what? How do you want me to list your title? How do you, how do you want it listed? And I said, all right, I'm going to list you as Daniel Baker, Ph.D., chemistry. Is that all right? He goes, no, Dr. Daniel Baker, Ph.D., chemistry. <laughs> and I'm like, you it. sassy son of a you can't do you can only do that on this show. Apparently, there's a rule. You can't have a doctor and a PhD together. I don't know what this. I don't know what that's all about. But no, Daniel Baker, you don't get to break that rule in print. So, only in audio. A couple of questions from the chat room or answers for the chat room. Christine, uh, Scott does send out a reminder on Saturday around 4 p.m. Pacific time about the Sigler Junkies Happy Hour, or at least he does most of the time yeah. when when Steve reminds us. Um, and uh, Shannon, I am wearing an. Uh, Elf matte lip color in cranberry, in case you want it. I love Elf. They're super, super um, environmentally friendly, and they're super inexpensive. You can probably get it on Amazon or at Elf. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have done our... We went one minute over. Our 10-minute introduction went to 11 minutes. And now it's time for... I should have done a fancy graphic, maybe a song and dance. I'm it's not okay. sure. We have so, well, <laughs> just call John up. He'll dance. John's doing a song and dance for us. Very well, very well. 
Hi, Julian. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, let's get into it. These are your questions you have sent to us. You can put questions in the chat room. It's going to be pretty busy in the chat room. So if we don't get to it, if you don't hear your question answered tonight, email it to info at empty set. We'll go back to Maine. Hold on. Boom. And or just go ahead and email it to info at empty set.com. Whoops. I don't know how to yeah, do this. It's because also the bottom of the we have now. we have six pages of questions already yeah. from you guys. So it might be easier if you just do that unless it's super pertinent and we'll try and keep an eye on it. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. So. All right. Here we go. Back and to. For, and the, the, the first adult rookie was podcast starting September of 2006. Oh, my mm. gosh. Oh, my gosh. So let's see. Doing I math. love it. How many would that be? Sixteen years ago? Um, sure. Yeah. Sixteen okay. September's ago. Sixteen September's ago. I love that John made you not wrong by saying it that way. Sixteen September's ago. Okay, so we're <laughs> back to Maine. I'll get guest queued up, ready to go to John. All right, babe, let's go. First so, question. I'm going to start with one that was in Sigler Junkies just recently uh, and is not even about the rookie. And I do that to tell everybody who's listening or everybody who's watching after this or everybody who's listening to just the audio. This is your warning that this entire episode is full of spoilers for everything in the Sigler verse. This is not just about the rookie. People can ask questions about anything. So I put this one first because it's about Mount Fitzroy. Yep. As a reminder to you, if you want, you can just skip ahead like 30 seconds and and, and still catch it. It's going to be lots of questions. It's a big old fictional sploosh is what it is. Uh, I'm still trying to see if I can fix the, the person I blocked out, but I, I cannot. We'll All right, let's it. go. You'll get it. No, Rob, uh, we're not answering that question today. No, it's funny no, that sir. you say that because I just mentioned that today in, in Signal Junkies, Rob Otto. Uh, so Vince Thompson asked, while listening to Mount Fitzroy again, two questions came to mind. Number one, will we ever learn more about Swinestein, who is mentioned a couple of times in the book? That'd be Swinestein, sir, not Swinestein. Although I'm sure you spelled it right, so I, I guess I'm harshing out my wife here, which didn't work out for me at all. And um, I hope so. Uh, the Department of Special Threats is kind of set up after pandemic for there's there's several recurring characters. And we are part of our conversation we're having right now about what comes next in the feed is wondering if the DST is going to be involved or not. Wondering if the next thing will be uh, Sigliverse specific or it will introduce a non-Sigliverse property. So you will hopefully hear from Swinestein because I, th- I think that'd be a very, very funny book. And then there is a second question from Vince Thompson. Um, <clears throat> last reminder, <laughs> spoiler alert, you guys, for everything in the Sigliverse. Are, the same, are these the same Roctopi and ship that we saw in The Champion. And that's from which book? Mount Fitzroy. Mount Fitzroy. Uh, No. No, that is not the same. That is all I can tell you at this time. And also, I reserve the right to change my mind later (laughs) and say yes. (laughs) This one you might want to call up John for, because this is definitely a John question. Uh, This one is from Clark Rose, and he asked... Excuse me, you guys. He asks, how do you keep all the characters and all the worlds and all the rules in mind when spanning the entire Sigler-verse? Well, it's funny uh, you should ask that. We have John Viscara on the screen right now. Uh, John and a few others are... um, It is the answer, like, sort of this... Pivotal, yes. Is it it John? That's how we do it? It's basically John. We have the Siglerpedia, which was... Uh, a lot more collaborative several years ago before spam started to just 
kicked the shit out of us. So we had to kind of lock everybody out, except for a handful of people who still put time into it. John does the primary work over there. John's also in a wiki called the Secret Agent Wiki, which is where I, I talk. We, we put up stuff that isn't out yet so we can keep track of it. But, John, tell them about uh, all the good stuff that is there on the Siglerpedia. And, and I, su- I assume you use that as well. I do for uh, for some of the more recent stuff. There's there's a lot of this on the Siglerpedia that is from the original first drafts of of the books that were prior to them being uh, released with uh, the book deals that you had with Crown and that kind of stuff. So some of that stuff's a little outdated, but a lot of uh, a lot of content has been updated with the newer releases. Um, and then there's some some sort of special project pages that I put up there that I thought were kind of interesting. Like we put in a Sigler in place page uh, that has a list of all the Sigler in place episodes and and that kind of stuff and links to download those. Uh, but yeah, I do use a lot of that uh, content to help me um, find, uh, you know, keep keep things in line and and uh, and find the pieces, the little minutia um, that are out there. Yeah. yeah. And a lot, and then John just also has part of the way we keep track of things is I'll send a question and John seems to have a much more uh, file cabinet memory of, oh, I think that's in the starter, probably in the middle somewhere. Yeah, that's what so I was going to So I'm like, I don't remember if I put it in a book. John, be like, I think I know where that's at. And then yeah. he will go track that down. So it's really, and- as a as a writer, uh, it's a, I, I'm a very, very fortunate to have so many yeah. people who started out as readers become sources, experts, and collaborators. And John's just a huge part of the process now. He has to read everything before we put it out. Several Sometimes times. Sometimes <laughs> three, ver- three versions of the crypt he had to read out. He's still working on the last version, I think. But, yeah, we're um, about to start. Go, it, it's just that the continuity. For me, setting up all this intricate continuity for a brain that doesn't remember what I had for breakfast, it's a bad call. It's so a bad what call, I was going to add is one of the graces of our uh professional relationship with John and our friendship with John is that John also brings up things that Scott com- like completely didn't think to ask or remember about and say like, yeah, you know, you already said that this can't happen in, in the Quith Concordia or something like that. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. He's such a great, uh, great, great guy that it's never a uh, dumbass. There is no faster than light travel. It's all, uh, you know, on page 13 of this book, you said that that can't exist. So he's very gentle, which is actually lovely because sometimes Scott, Scott has never, is never a terrible human being when he's writing, except to himself. Yeah. But uh, it all, it helps that it's a graceful, useful way to talk about it so that he can just get into the work because he dogs himself a lot, but he never dogs the rest of us. <clears throat> all right, dog, let's go. Next question. Blair Winston asks, do you think classic science fiction literature is different from modern science fiction literature and how? Uh, well, it's absolutely different from modern science fiction, in my opinion. Keep in mind, I am not a categorical reader of all things in science fiction right now. So, or nor have I been for the past 10, 15 years or so. So I could be wrong about this, but modern sci-fi is far more interested in the human condition and, you know, talking about uh, focusing on analysis on morality and what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, and looking at a lot of, of future and imaginary constructs to reflect modern day society and therefore critique modern day society. So in Mm -hmm. my opinion, modern day sci-fi is a bit more highbrow. It's a bit more judgmental. It's a bit more the people who are writing this know the way that things really should be. 
Um, and then, of course, that was there in the in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But it was 56, 70 was also a lot more into, okay, what if two species came together that couldn't communicate yeah, at all? So, like, the first time out of the gate, like, okay, what if we have, you know, what, what happens when two things pass each other at near the speed of light? There was a lot of math involved. There was a, a lot of tales of people. But by and large, old school sci-fi, in my opinion... The characters were there to support the plot. The characters were there to support the, the the math, and the characters were window dressing on the concept they wanted to explore. So now I think it's flipped a lot. Yeah, and I'll say he he mentioned judgmental, and I don't disagree. A lot of modern sci-fi can be judgmental. Uh, would you bring up John? I would love to hear yep. his answer too. Uh, so I also think that while that is not untrue, I would say that modern sci-fi doesn't have to take over the big issues like Arthur C. Clarke did, which is what is possible in our world? And what if we're part of a giant community of other human beings or other sentient beings, I mean? So it it could be a bigger picture without too much character-driven stuff. But I think now, once it's character-driven, because we know a lot more science, it can be more judgmental. But I kind of, I, I think both, there's space for both. It's, it, it's one thing, and we'll go to John on this, but uh, for example, <laughs> if you go back far enough and read sci-fi from the 50s, there is a lot of conjecture about what might actually be on Mars. Right. What kind of culture is civilization? What could there, is there a way they could live there? You know, stuff before we knew that there's nothing there at all. So like that, there's also a huge 50 years, 70 years worth now of, of scientific knowledge that we've amassed since science fiction really got started. Yeah, so that's also sure. a huge part of the difference between now and then. John, your thoughts? What do you think? You'd read. Yeah, so much I think, sci-fi. I think that's a, that's correct. <laughs> I, I think that, Back in the 50s, that era of sci-fi was so much about the unknown future and what are the possibilities, uh, what what might happen when we finally, you know, reach the, the future and we've either got visitors from other worlds coming here or we're going out to other worlds as well. And now it seems that we've kind of uh, stepped back a little bit from the wonderment of it. And, and now it's just like, well, how can we apply our everything that we understand today in a, in another place? So it, 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 not that that's a necessarily a bad thing or anything like that, but it seems like it's a, it's a it's kind of a shift in the way that we um, explore uh, fiction and and those kind of ideas. For sure, I think one of the the huge things for me personally as a sci-fi somebody who engages with science and sci-fi and is a citizen scientist and loves both things, I thought uh, the opportunity, the Mars rover opportunity who was very human, and uh, even though it wasn't human, and very uh, social media engaged and stuff like that, and signed off as it was as it was dying, was a beautiful kind of bridge that I never expected. And I kind of love that. It right. seems like we, technologically, we've caught up to the future already, and we're living in the future. And some of the stuff that's happening nowadays is seems so futuristic. And it's hard to believe that we can instantly communicate with people across the the globe or yep. send a message seven minutes away to Mars and have have a response come Agreed. back. This stuff is so it's so it used to be unthinkable, and now it's every day kind of a uh, uh, it's in the news. It's happening all the time. All the time. All so right. I've got a few uh, rapid Let's questions go. for you, Ellie Swanson. Who? Hello, Ellie. We have talked to you so many times. Uh, she asks, "What is the title of the seventh GFL book, and when is its release date?" Uh, you don't get to know the title, and we don't know the release date. But I will tell you this. The goal, the hope, is that the release date is sometime 
2023 and almost assuredly in Q4 if we can get that done. Our 2023 is stacked and very, very busy. But Scott's done, Scott and John and us have done a ton of work on GFL 7. So um, I hope that we can get to that in 2023 by the end of the year at the latest. That's my very big hope. Uh oh. Scott, uh, John is holding up, uh, I believe, the graphic audio. Graphic audio. It's the graphic audio, and they mislabeled it as book seven. (laughs) It's mislabeled the gangster. Uh, It's correct correct on the front, but it's on the spine. It says book seven. Oh, the gangster. uh, This is okay, though. It's okay, though, because if you guys are unfamiliar with what John was just holding, that isn't an actual DVD, CD, something like that. It's not the gangster, Chris. No, it's not the gangster. That is often sold in the United States in truck stops because over-the-road truckers listen to audiobooks in this fashion. So you can also go to Graphic Audio on Audible and get these these titles, and you can also go to Graphic Audio and get a digital download if you want. Uh, Vashti Ramsarup asks, right, I think, Vashti Ramsarup asks, what, oh my, this is a big, fancy question. Go for question. it, go for it. Uh, do you think, and if so, what extent has the film industry helped popularizing science fiction and will science fiction movies overtake science fiction novels one day and do you have plans to write movies? Um, I don't think it has helped uh, well, let's call it actual science fiction as in using actual science as the basic as a core element of the story because um, a lot of what is called science fiction is to be pedantic about is like science fantasy there's nothing, there's nothing scientific about Star Wars, nothing at all. It's it's a fantasy myth story that just happens to be set in space. It's full of magic. Nothing's ever explained. Things are inconsistent. So is that is that the science fiction that you were talking about? Um, if you count it as if you count Star Wars as pure science fiction, then yes, the movies have completely surpassed books by a long, long, long shot, a long, long time ago in a place long. long you know, I got thank it. you. I got it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I got it. It's his birthday, you guys. Just. <laughs> Just applaud and smile because it's clap, genius, genius. Um, but as far as uh, you know, the stuff that actually uses science, the the best case I have for that, which is really weird to me, is Andy Weir's The Martian, where the book was chock full of real science. Like if, if you knew a lot about that stuff, it was all accurate. If you knew superficially knew that stuff, like me, it seemed accurate. If you wanted to go look stuff up, it was fairly accurate. And then in the movie. Was absolutely zero science in the movie whatsoever. They didn't. They didn't even explain that the reason he had to get human poop was because of the microbes in human poop, which create, which were allowed the potatoes to actually grow and do their life cycle. Like they didn't even. They just. They just like, oh look, poop throws it in the dirt. No explanation whatsoever. And if you don't know science, you're like, that dude is a Mark Watney is a weird dude. Weird dude. He's a weird yeah. weird dude. So the answer is, I think we'll always ebb and flow, and we'll always be one or the other. So uh, this specifically, I reached back out to Monica. She asked a question, and I mentioned that John was going to be on this podcast. Uh, So I'm going to ask a question from her later. But Monica Silva specifically wrote back and asked, does John, do you have, can you call up John? Yep. Uh, John, do you have a favorite story or character in the Siglerverse? I do. Um, My favorite story in the Siglerverse is is the story Passenger. Um, it's a short story. It's in the color series, and it's set in around the crypt era. But it, it is one of my all-time favorites. I'm not sure why, um, but uh, I, I just love the idea. It's sort of like a little bit of zombies, a little bit of uh, 
um, science uh, virus kind of stuff. I was a big fan of the uh, the Hot Zone book, and oh, so yeah. virology was, was uh, very intimidating to me. And so the seeing that kind of mixed with the um, with the science future uh, and and the how it keeps popping up. So the passenger story was was its own story, and then passenger virus made an appearance in the first. Uh, uh, podcast version of the crypt yep. mm-hmm. um, so it's just it's it just keeps popping up and it's it's a very i don't know it's my my, my favorite of them all we, yeah. we I, do we do not know if they'll be back or not I'm and i yet. love that because i had never i i don't think i've ever thought to ask you that and your answer is so interesting because my very favorite piece of the Sigliverse is also a color a short story called red man which yeah. has never popped back up but is such a divergence from the humans we are today but a possibility it's a it's totally reasonable possibility that would that would mark us forever in a different way than we are now and i love that that you also have a tiny piece of the sigliverse that you're like oh this is great but oh (laughs) i hope that doesn't come to fruition okay moving on uh joseph stronger asks you scott should we be expecting a mature audience's version of the crypt or will it be ya to fit in with the rest of the gfl series given how it appears it may tie in more closely to the gf (laughs) i love that john's laughing already given that it appears it may tie in more closely to the gfl there is nothing YA about Shakedown. It's uh, it's nothing a it's a it's a dirty Shakedown. dirty book for dirty dirty people. All right, next YA. question. YA is yo ass. In this yo ass, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> All right, you asked. We're gonna ask the next question. I'm gonna do next question with the chat window up and bring John into the chat window so Great. people can see all at the same Terrific. time. Go ahead. What's the next question? Nikki Dillon asks. For you specifically, who are the best science fiction writers, modern day and or classics? Who's the best? Again, that gets into that whole the whole science fiction question. Let me see if I can grab this. Copy this. Go back to chat. Oh, there we go. Hold on. This is uh this is the, our highly polished live television, you guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. This is wonderful. There I we like go. this. Now Let's we've got do John this. for the chat. All right, fabulous. Now let's go camp. We gotta go. Here we are over here. My favorite, I honestly don't read a lot of science fiction. A lot of science fiction, you know, if I if I want to read science fiction, I would like to see something science about work. it. So again, you go back to uh you go back to Andy Weir's work. Um and I am not that well read in the science fiction and the hard science fiction stuff. Um when you get into the more fantasy-based science fiction, I'm a huge fan of Pierce Brown's Red Rising series. Uh, you know, uh, I'll call up, uh, there's a few more that I can't really remember the name. I was reading a lot of it while I was working on Shakedown and I'm just kind of all over the place. And basically still people, I, other authors I meet at a con or socializing online. Those are the people I tend to gravitate to. So I don't really have a particular favorite in the world of sci-fi. Sure. I think you said you, you liked some of James S.A. Corey, uh, yeah. using the expanse. James S.A. Corey, uh, a, lot, a lot of science net and, and great storytelling You as love well. Helldivers? Yeah. I'm Nicola, not sure if that counts as, I, I as think, sci-fi. I think Nicholas Sansbury Smith's work, Nicholas Sansbury Smith wrote Helldivers. It's a great series. If you like my stuff, you will love it. I think that that is about military 80, 80%, 80% in the military sci-fi and 20% in the hard science fiction. Because he, he for, to tell his stories, he takes a lot of liberties with science and kind of has a good time with it. Jonathan Mayberry... Um, gets a lot of of scientific elements into his Joe Ledger series in order to make monsters believable. Mm-hmm. 
and plausible. And Jeremy Robinson is another one who does the same thing. Uh, takes crazy stuff like, hey, let's let's have a lab develop a Hydra, and a Hydra eats like 18 people. Cool story, and then he'll bring in enough science to make that, okay, I can roll with that. So basically, there a lot of those people the same style I have. Like Clearly, I am not writing hard science fiction all the time, but I bring enough science into it to make, uh, make it believable and allow you to go further down the rabbit hole. There we go. Uh, Joseph Allred, longtime friend and fan, uh, asks, I have listened to your JFL stories for so long, I've lost some of the specifics of the big picture. What is the Concordia? I think this might be a John on the screen question, too. Let's get John up on the screen. (laughs) I'll give it a first pass by messing up, John. The Quith Concordia is, those are the planets that are controlled, governmentally controlled by the, primarily by the Quith species. The Quith are a very, very, very democratic uh, race, and they if oh, John is pointing, John is pointing. In case oh, you guys he's are pointing watching. to where it is in yeah, the map. Let's bring up the guest screen so you can card. see it. Uh, boom, guest. There you go. You are here. <laughs> yeah, we are down you there. Are here. And this is the Quincord. It's a it's long, long ways Thanks, away. John. Just that far away. It's awesome. only like five days away. Um, but it is the most democratic government in the Sigliverse, I would say, in the Milky Way. Because on a on a quith planet, if humans bred so quickly, they were the dominant species. That would be perfectly fine. So in uh, in the GFL series, most of the human players who play for the Ionith Krakens are actually citizens of the Quith Concordia, and not citizens of Earth or other human type places. Uh, sure. Yitzhak Goldman. Born in the Quith Concordia, raised in Ionath. So sounds like he's from Brooklyn, but so, not true. Nope, not well. You know, a lot of people from Brooklyn moved to the Quith Concordia, as they should. A lot of people. So that that is it. That is what the Quith Concordia is. It's one of the nation states of the Sigliverse. If I'm using nation state correctly, John, right. any addition? Any addition to that? No, that's that's uh, um, that's covers it pretty well. Uh, the other the other governments are kind of. Uh, like you said, you talk about the, the quiz being um, very democratic and they're very Earth-like, including the point that you made um, early on that you wanted to make sure that they had red blood, right? So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to kind of link them that much closer to human um, physiology as well. Uh, there are other governments in the in the Sigler-verse and they have different kind of um, structures. Like the the uh, um, the Kretorakians are kind of like a... a, a you, I don't want to say you social because that's kind of more like I think that's kind of the Quith Concordia as well, but it's this huge hive mind of, um, and, a, and a large yeah, number of, sure. of of people. Uh, then you've got like the the League of Planets is is uh, they their their head of state is the chief scientist, so it's yep. you know th- there's there's some sort of uh, there's different governments and they have different structures, but Quith is probably closest to what we're familiar with. And I will tell you guys, uh, slight spoiler alert, there is some some secret shit going down with the Quith Concordia coming up in uh, in future books. And I do... And it's going to tie every, It's going to tie a lot of stuff together. And I want to say, uh, as a reader, which I know is kind of hard for you to picture right now, but that's how we met. I was a reader. Uh, the, the League of Planets meant a lot to me because I... Um, grew into my uh, critical thinking. I have a chemistry degree. I did uh, research and and chemistry research. I was a chemist. I was a pharmaceutical researcher. I was a clinical researcher. And I grew into my sort of skepticism and um, critical thinking. And there was a while where I was quite hardcore. I was also in my 20s. I was quite young. And I feel like the League of Planets is sort of a little bit too far to 
uh, ignoring human frailties and emotions and needs and social needs and things like that. It's a little too... The Planetary Union, you say? No, no the, the League, League of Planets. Planets. Yeah. yeah, I think they're science only, and that will work to continue the system, but it doesn't give you any joy or uh, joy of a fallible life it, in the same way <laughs> that a Quith Concordia does. League of Planets, by and large, is if uh, the, the Nazis ran the most powerful science corporation in the world. Yeah, <laughs> in the in the in the galaxy. When and we will not see too much of that in as we run through the end of the GFL series. But eventually, maybe if I live long enough, we'll get into some more books there. I have a Next hard question. question for you, Scott Sigler. Michael Prescott asks, "What are some or the hardest scene you've ever written?" You can see your brother's comment there. Before I continue, uh, <laughs> I'm not. I've loved you since the day I was born, Jude. Uh, uh, what, what 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 are some or the hardest scene you've ever written? I think the um, I think the end of Contagious was probably the hardest scene mm -hmm. I've ever written, and um, that's still. I mean, I I think I did a pretty good job on that because. It's still upsetting for me to even bring it up, to watch someone go through that journey and then wind up where they wound up. I think the opening of Pandemic is uh, was really, really difficult for me to write because I was going yeah, was, through a divorce at the time. I was just going to say that that yeah. was what I would have guessed, the yeah. beginning of Pandemic. Beginning of Pandemic. Uh, I was uh, the Evil Queen hey, and I no. were parting ways at the time. And, uh, you know, t and I think we, I can't really remember the dates, but either we were parting ways, we had just parted ways. So a lot of that stuff was fresh and I was able to channel a lot of that into Margaret and Otto's dialogue and really capture those feelings. And, and reliving those feelings was pretty crappy. Um, the, the, the one thing you guys will never, ever have to worry about, the hardest thing I've ever written was the blog post I wrote after Mookie, the Mookie, the evil past, Mookie, uh, Mookie the, the violent. violent, Mookie, the violent past. And I, I felt I had to write that cause I was. So verklempt with all of the all of the emotions, and this is why when you read my books, the dog will never die. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is up. Everybody else is on the on the chopping block. The dog's going to make it in one form or another. Our next question. Uh, let's see. Monica Adler asks: With NaNoWriMo ending today on your birthday, do you have any advice for aspiring writers who find the industry to be intimidating? Hold on. I'm at EmptySet.com. Uh, everybody, if you're asking questions uh, in the chat room, go ahead. We'll get to them if we can. But as soon as you ask in chat room, just just email them to, to info at EmptySet. Please, we, we have like we got six a lot pages. To keep. And I want, we're going to answer them live quickly as we can. But if I miss it, I might miss it. So uh, the question again? The question was, with NaNoWriMo ending today on your birthday, any advice for aspiring writers who find the industry to be intimidating? Um, I think... As I have said many times since my career began, that this is the best time in the history of humanity to be a creator of anything. So if you are an aspiring writer, go to YouTube and look up So You'll Want to Be a Writer, Scott Sigler. Watch all of those. Watch all of those videos. They will be very helpful to you. I don't talk about how to write. I talk about a lot of the other stuff around writing, a little bit about the business and how you can you know, be consistently producing stuff. Don't let the industry intimidate you because you don't need the industry anymore. So I think the way to go now is is when you, you write books, you want to write the best book you can, you want to watch those videos, edit a hundred times, hire real cover artists, hire a real editor, save the money, hire a real editor, edit the book, learn how to put that book out yourself, 
as an ebook. You can go on ACX, Audible Exchange, uh, ACX.com. You can find other people who read the audiobooks for you. And instead of writing book after book after book and sending them out into the industry to hopefully get attention and doing what I did for 12 or 13 years trying to get published, you don't have to do that anymore. You can put stuff out in the marketplace, start establishing your brand as a writer, and you're going to get better as a writer. So when you start out, you can use a pen name, whatever you want. If you're putting books out for sale, you will be gathering real world business experience that will let you sell more books to more people and start to find your audience of people who can't wait for your next book to come out. That is something that was not available to me at all when I got started out. I'm very jealous people get to do that now. And, you know, you there's well over a billion English-speaking people on the Internet right now. If you are... If you write on a regular basis, release on a regular basis, release quality product, and are diligent about figuring out how the game works and how to market your books and keep learning that, you're going to wind up selling books to people and you will be very happy. Will you make a ton of money? Not at first, but you might figure out the pros and the cons of it. And the last thing I'll say about that is, and I've learned that more is more. The more books you put out- More is more. The more books you put out, the more you trip the algorithm, the more you find the people who really like the stuff that you make- and then the larger audience will get from there. Consistency will always win out over everything, except for the few people who the fiction gods tap them on the shoulder, gift them a career out of nowhere. And usually those people aren't around 10 or 15 years later. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Carrie Cabot's on YouTube. Please email me that at info at empty set. I want to do that next week, but I am in the midst of a handful of questions. So please email me. Let's go. Uh, Adam Waugh asks, I love all the timelines and stories in the Siglerverse. Looking forward, forward to what the Crypt series will bring. As for the crew of the Oleron, uh, which was the Stone Wolves, if you guys haven't read it, um, 
Will there be any more backstory for Zan in the future books or even a short story like there was for the creation of the Prowat? Thanks for all you do. Yes. Next question. <laughs> okay. Sandy Adams asks, what is the, fr- uh, you might call him, oh, good. John's up. Because I would like his answer too. Okay. Sandy Adams, uh, what is the first book or the most recent book that made you cry? Boy, oh boy. Uh, the first book that made me cry, gosh, I, I don't know. Probably something by Jack London. Probably one of his uh, one of his dog books, I would guess. Hard to remember. I'm very old now. He's I'm totally answering this question because it was Higgins and the Great Big Scare. And it was about a dog who was afraid of groceries. That was the story. I was very young. And then right after that, I got a little cat. And he was a premature cat. And I named him Higgins. And he was my very first pet. So there that was go. me. <laughs> John, do you, have, do you remember? Re- I, can't, I can't recall the most recent book. John, I I can't ever recall one making me cry, but I do remember a visceral visceral emotional reaction For to sure. the red wedding uh, oh. in in uh, Game of or uh, uh, Storm of Swords. Yeah, reading that and and just being so uh, it made me want to throw the book across the room, which is you know great writing, really just engages you, pulls you really into the powerful. story, and, and then just turns your expectations upside down. I just thought that was. Fantastic. And, and and like I said, it didn't really make me cry, but it sure made me want to punch some walls. And I do believe that's uh, Sadie, Sophie. Uh, Just go with it. It's fine. Sadie's um, vibe there. She's like, what what made you react in real life to a, to a story? Yeah. Oh, Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Somebody calling up. <laughs> yeah. You guys uh, Web, just yeah. throw them in the comments if you remember the first book that made you cry. Uh, Charlotte's Web was very, very sad. Very I've been sad, wanting yeah. for years. I've been, I've been checking, hoping, hope, hoping that passes into the public domain so that I can write <laughs> Charlotte's, Charlotte's Web 2, A Nightmare of Spiders, where a little bit of radioactive waste spills into the farm and spiders become the size of your chest and breed in huge numbers and sweep around the country and kill everybody we but the We have a billion pigs. questions, sir. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay sorry. Allison Rosso, you guys, you won't know this, but I will tell you, Allison Rosso came to Sigler Fest 2018 dressed as farm girl. And it was super subtle. She just was. She was gorgeous. She had all the appliances. She had all the accoutrement. (laughs) But to look at her, she just looked like a normal, professionally dressed woman until she did not. It was beautiful. So she wrote in and she says, I have a question for the rookie Q&A. Before this one, I had never listened to the podcasts in sync with the episodes as they were being released. I always was behind on timing. So I'm very excited to be able to contribute a question this time. And here it is. All right. I liked how Quentin was sort of clueless early on about what was happening in some situations with his teammates, particularly when it came to other characters' motives for their behavior. Hey, buddy. Because of his arrogance and or inability to believe that anyone would be helping him, he was often confused or just flat out wrong about what was really going on. This almost made him act as sort of an unreliable narrator. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Wait, ah! which is a storytelling device that's always fascinated me. What can you tell us about the decision to write Quentin this way? And did you draw any inspiration elsewhere for this? Uh, Stephen King's Jack Torrance from The Shining comes to mind when I think about it. Jack Torrance, I'm going to go to the main screen. Jack Torrance is not an unreliable narrator. He's, uh, He's crazy. He's got a lot of mental challenges going on. Because Jack Torrance believes his world is real. The unreliable narrator is the narrator who's telling you this entire fictitious world 
and is not telling you the truth about this entire fictitious world. And this is a this is a this is a literary device that I don't use because it it flounders and confuses me that the person who is telling you the story, how things look, feel, smell, all the sensations, everybody around them, is not telling the truth, but because that's your only window in. So the and remember, an unreliable character is not the same thing as an unreliable narrator. Unreliable and she narrator did put is telling unreliable the story. character or narrator in quotes because okay. I don't think she believes Quentin is truly so, an unreliable character. I explain that is that is what an unreliable narrator is. So <clears throat> Quentin is it? Quentin's just by and large a country bumpkin dumbass. So a lot of what Quentin goes through uh, is. You know, stuff that happened to me in sports, on the football field, on the wrestling mat, and, and more so to people around me that I was in, in sports with, and more, even more so to people from my small town community who then, uh, you know, left it and went out into the bigger world. And when we would go back to the hometown community, and uh, all of us who had left had gone through significant change by being exposed to different social styles and customs and cultures, would go back and be like, holy crap, are we like this when we were here? So that's largely what Quentin is. He's uneducated and ignorant. Not stupid. He's ignorant. There's a huge difference. And I do think that you can tell that he's not stupid because eventually he sees it happen and and tests that theory is all I'll say. So I think that's true. So this question, uh, Saul uh, Gonzalez wrote in and asked this question. I wrote back and asked, I told him that John would be on the podcast and he revised it to okay. ask both of you this. Shoot. The question is, if... For you first, Scott, if you could tell your younger writer self one thing, what would it be? And then, if John, you could tell Scott's younger writer self something, what would it be? Oh, this is going to be great. Uh, if I could tell my younger writer self, oh, there's so many things that would tell my younger writer self. I would say the biggest thing is um, probably so I, I, the, the usual tropes of write every day, put out work, put work in the marketplace, Jump in with both feet and learn what you don't know and, and fix those things instead of waiting and trying to know everything. All that's consistent. I would say uh, don't read the reviews. Don't read the comments. That's a big one. <laughs> and um, Sean Dyer and, with and, you. And I would say probably have a broader understanding of the fiction marketplace. You may think that, and I still go through this, I still struggle with this every day, trying to get that those last little details, make sure all the I's are dotted, all the T's line up from the, the scientific perspective, from the plot perspective, from the character perspective, the cultural perspective, trying to make sure all these little intricate things are all as correct as they can be and I can still tell a story. That chews up a ton of time, and if you step back and look at like, the two biggest fiction properties of the last hundred years... Star Wars and Harry Potter, and let's throw in the Marvel Universe in there too. A lot of that, a lot of that super intricate stuff isn't necessary. And if you want to tell those, it's important you to it's important for you to have all that stuff buttoned up and dialed in. Super cool. You can put in that work. But I think the main thing I would tell my younger self is the reader cares more about characters. And relationships than they do about anything else. If you write compelling characters and put those characters in compelling relationships, and those relationships are impacted by the environment of the story, and those relationships change and grow along with the characters, that rivets people every time. Soap operas dominated entertainment for 60 years, and there's really, there's not, there's nothing new there. There's no incredible new storytelling. Like, I haven't watched Yellowstone. I can tell you Yellowstone's a soap opera, and there's a lot of the same plot lines that go through everything else I've watched over the last 50 years. 
And it's, it's the most popular show on television for a reason, because they're good at telling those stories. So that's my advice. And what about John? John, yep. what do you, wait, let's get to the guest cam. What would, advice would you give to the younger Scott Sigler? Right. So uh, probably if I had access to get to the younger Scott Sigler and, and advise him of anything, it would be to maybe pick a different football team. <laughs> <laughs> There's just no, there's just no glory. There's just no glory in there. No, not not the Kraken. No, it's lions. Let's be honest. Yeah, pick another team and maybe enjoy enjoy football for once. Enjoy football for a while. That's amazing. I hope Saul is watching. But seriously, though, I was trying to think just just in the in the short amount of time here to try to think of something. And one of the things that that I that I like so much about your your work is how is how. Uh, flexible you are at just exploring the boundaries uh, more um, within your within your space. So you're you're not afraid to try something new, and but you but you do uh, experiment with a couple of other different styles of doing things and ways of doing things. It took me a while to get used to your your style of writing, uh, so that I could contribute as an editor. Um, but uh, I, I I can't really think of anything that that. Um, you know, that is uh, needed work or that to advise you to be more, you know, accommodating or <laughs> explore new media or anything like that, because you're doing it all. So uh, I'll just say, keep on your path, I guess. I love it. <laughs> rock it, uh, rock it. I am going to tell everyone here, including you, John, I texted you earlier, but I'm going to tell everybody, I'm pretty sure this is going to run a little bit long, maybe 15, 30 minutes long. Oh if God. John, you can join, that's fine. We are we have that's so roll. many million questions that I want to let you know. If you want to hang out with us, we're going to do this. It'll be a supersized podcast episode on Sunday. All right. So Steve Smith asked a couple of questions. I'm going to ask the first one. Scott has mentioned a few times that both Heavy G and Heavy Key have a slower reaction time. Yep. But if they're made slash adapted for high gravity, wouldn't their reaction times have been faster because their bodies and other objects would fall faster at a gravity greater than the Earth's? That's a very good question. But remember that both of those, those are not beings that evolved over millions of years. Those are beings that have been modified probably over the course of a century, give or take you know, a decade or two. So you are, you are taking this existing creature that has evolved to live in a particular environment at a particular gravity over millions of years, and then you are adapting it to go do something else. So that is the answer to your question. So yes, and, and, and it's not a blanket. They're not all slower. Uh, the, obviously, the, the heavy G people who play in the GFL at Tier 1, Tier 2, or, or Tier 3 are all upper-level athletes with incredible reaction time, just like any giant, big-ass lineman, 330-pounder you see in an NFL game. You might look at that person like, oh, I bet, I bet that person's not that quick. They are, they, are quicker than, they are quicker than you can imagine. They are incredibly fast. So bigger people can have the massive reaction, but on the law of averages, that tends to, that tends to be a slower reaction time than some middle size and someone small size. Genetic engineering is the answer to your question. Next question. Let's go. Uh, <clears throat> he also asks, at the Spacecraft Museum at Shipyard Stadium, are the Sputnik and Challenger displays the real deal or replicas. I know there were a few spare Sputnik units laying around, but an actual surviving space shuttle Challenger would mean the Siglerverse diverged from ours at least as early as 1986. I'm just curious. I believe they are replicas because if they were real, Greedock the Splithead would own them. 
I don't know if you guys caught all of the world famous pieces of art. The only real ones. The he the things he actually owns that are real are currently treasured and irreplaceable on Earth, and you can only imagine how rare they would be six hundred years from now. All right. One of them. What? Is the Venus de Milo, right? The Venus de Milo is one of them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There are several, but that's my favorite one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Logan Schaefer said, how many unpublished, half-published, or not yet published books or short stories or ideas do you think you have? At this point, um, uh, half-published, very few. Like, uh, I'm probably like less than 10, maybe less than five. Because I've been doing this so long, we've really had to, to go into the well to like, okay, what do we have that's done? What's edited? What can we put into the the feed? As far as the ideas go, h- hundreds. We have hundreds in our database right now of stuff that I know. I, we're, we're, we're having discussions. We're currently talking yeah, about this. We're having discussions every night now about the next thing, the thing we're going to start on January 1st, a brand new line of fiction coming out January 1st. Only, and you will be hearing it here a lot. It'll be first heard on this live stream on every Secret Wednesday. Place. Then we'll take that content, edit it, put it into the podcast feed on Sundays. But we are looking at one particular thing because it incorporates 11 other novel ideas that I know I will never get to, but could happen in this particular setting, which is pushing us sort of in that direction. So idea-wise, hundreds, hundreds. And I've talked about, we've talked about that Scott has a, a a database that started in an Apple program called Bento, which is no longer existing, and a company called Ninix, which I cannot. Ninix. <laughs> every time I mention, I have to say it with my whole face. Ninix. Um, oh, he's got the book. Yeah, we've migrated it to that, which is an open source version of Bento. And right now, because we are talking about what happens on January 1st and what that this live podcast story becomes, uh, right now there are over 100 ideas, of which somewhere around 67 are fleshed out enough for him to start writing. Like, it's not just, a, you know, a byline, a title, a byline, and an elevator pitch. It has a little bit more in it. Uh, so that's an interesting thing. So this thing. is, uh, I'll show you guys. First, this you is have a, to tell them what this is. That this is holding. a super cool thing. I believe, I think I started this in high school. I'm not entirely you sure. You have to see it, though. Oh, this is pretty cool. I'll show you this. But I know I started in my 60s. This is... One of the original binders I got, it's old circuit boards that yep. somebody turned into a notebook, and I used it so much that it split. And so I think that the is, first page you can show, because it's just, it's got the, it's, the, the coffee bits on it. This might have been, this? no, this this got the coffee yeah. bits. But you guys are like this. This would be from uh, over 20 years ago. Let me see if this will show up on the camera. This was my first sketch for... Mm-mm. A little bit. If I go back, you might—he can't really see it. Let's try this nope. side. Yeah. Oh, you oh. got to switch. Sorry, guys. We're trying this. I'll try this. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll have to. Yeah, there it is. It. There it is. Oh, no, they can't. Up. They back can't up see. Back up a little. Oh no, you can't. We'll we'll put a print we'll next week. It is uh, a rough sketch of a block part of a mountain being lifted up and the thing underneath, and I have it listed as Fella, Utah, seven years to destroy chemical weapons stockpile. So that's that's the first note that got early start of Earthcore. Earth yeah, and, and then there's Mike one here called call the, that Sigl Artifacts. One of the the Bumblebee Club, which is something. I, so for, I would say 25 to 30 years, I've had a story called the Bumblebee Club that I've never got to. What happened? Which you might get to soon. Oh yeah, <laughs> you maybe can't talk about maybe. right now. 
Okay, moving on. Moving on. Um, so this is kind of fun. Uh, I would like – oh, good. John's up on the screen. Yep. This is good for me. Tom Reynolds uh, was so excited to have a chance to write in for this. He says, the first co- podcast episode I ever listened to in my life happened to be an Adam Carolla show podcast with Scott as the guest Sweet. promoting Ancestor. The very second thing I ever listened to was the first episode of Ancestor. Nice. And I have been a junkie ever since. I recall – Adam asking Scott how he can make a living giving his book away for free, and Adam and Scott blew off the question by saying, eh, I'll make it up in volume. <laughs> um, so thank you both for the years of entertainment that you've given me. My question yep. are all the locations in the GFL slash Sigler verse books within the Milky Way galaxy. It is, after all, the Galactic Football League. On the other hand, it's also the Sigler verse. And I assume with FTL travel, all things are possible. So is the story restricted to the confines of our relatively tiny galaxy? Uh, let's see. It is. No, no. Uh, there are some elements coming coming from outside the Milky Way. And I feel like even though we said this is a very spoilery cast, I think you should probably go read and or listen to Earthcore and then Mount Fitzroy together. Uh, there's something there that is outside of this galaxy. But the GFL is all within the Milky Way galaxy. You guys, we have uh, John up on the screen Are now. Are you agreeing, John? Everything's... Yeah. Yeah, the I mean the 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 parts that uh, that you're talking about with the with the uh, Portath coming from another galaxy. That's they're all all, all the stories are told within this galaxy, but there right. are elements that have come from other galaxies. And then there's the Generations trilogy, which is all set in a different galaxy. Yep. So you said the right thing. You're like the GFL, which I love because I don't know if Scott did this on purpose and we've never talked about it. So you guys will all ask me here this question. Um, it's the GFL, even mm-hmm. though it all happens in the Milky Way, just like it is the Super Bowl. The World, world Championship. The World <laughs> Championship is the Super Bowl, but it's only American teams. Are you saying it should have been the MWFL, the Milky Way Football League? No, I'm saying that you mimicked the way that American sports works in that the 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 world championship for football takes place in the Super Bowl, which happens only with American teams. Yeah, but I don't think I, I that I don't think that will I don't think that will last for more. I think within I'm going to say 15 years conservatively, we will have four to six teams in the NFL in Europe. And right now, yes, the World Championship is only in the National Football League, but the second we get the second the NFL inter, inter, integrates with the Canadian Football League, for example, or Mexico City gets a team, uh, you know, we're going to see Toronto gets a team. We're going to it'll still be the National. It's Football even League. more obvious when you think about baseball. Yeah, which is absolutely the World Championship, and m- many of the best baseball players are Japanese, and they don't have a team. Yeah, so well, that's an interesting side yeah, effect. Yeah, that's an interesting side effect. But it's not incorrect, though, too. It's the Galactic Football League. It's the Milky Way Galactic yeah. Football League. Yeah, it's not the sure. inter- Intergalactic Football League. It's a good point. Between other ones. So it's oh, like uh, Chris, Galactic point. Football League Milky Way Edition. Chris Grawl in the chat room asks a very good question. He says, how does the tank fit in? The aliens in that story were Abanesia, correct? Yes, sir, They that is correct. But I haven't told you where they come from just yet. So there okay. you go. Uh, but, the, but that story takes place in the Milky Way. In the Milky Way, correct. 
J.R. Murdoch, please email that to info at empty set for me. Please, please, please. Uh, Jeremy McBride asks, <clears throat> this is special for this week. Go for it. Once you finish writing a book, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? What do you do for the next few days? What do you do? Well, um, I usually, I take, you know, the day I finish the book, I tend to like take the rest of that day off and which means I do email and to do's and go through. Yeah. Email and to do's. He's and completely try and catch right. Up. He just said he takes the rest of that day off and then he catches up on his admin work. That's true. Oh, Mike, Mike, where's email no, no. that question to oh, yeah. info at empty set, please. That's a great question. I would love yeah, to please. answer that. So he's right. That's what he does. If he finishes a book before noon, which he did for the crypt book one, mm -hmm. what do you do that evening? Uh, what I do the evening of the the crit book one? Mm -hmm. I, I assume I was hammered because I don't remember. He had a couple scotches <laughs> and he watched the MCU. That's what he did. Yeah. But normally, what do you do for the next few days after that? What's your requirement? Uh, Which is my requirement, by the uh, way. I, no, it's A's. It's A's requirement. I am uh, literally contractually forced by my boss in this business because why I am the future dark overlord. She's the CEO of the company. I am forced to not write anything. Not for, write long form fiction. Not write long form fiction for a week. So I can keep doing, I can get caught up on email and caught up on, you know, checkbook, everything like that and go through and do all those things. But I'm not allowed to start, start anything new or write long form fiction for, for a week. And it's a rough, rough week. And guys. those two it's things are super important. He's not allowed to write long form fiction, which means he's not allowed to start a short story because that's long form fiction. That will take 7,000 words. That's not an email. That's not a short note. That's not a birthday card. And he's not allowed to start anything new because I just mentioned that Ninix database. Ninix database. Ninix. And it's, ooh, it's got 132 things in it right now. So he's not allowed to add more ideas to that. He is allowed to dip into the database and think about things he might like to write next. He is allowed to flesh out ideas that he's had and he's been brewing in his free time, dog walk time, when he's not talking to you on Two Pups, One Cup. He's allowed to do all of that. He doesn't have, um, in our, in the, in the pandemic world anyway, he doesn't have like, oh, you've been writing, now you have to paint the outside of the house, now you have to reorganize your whatever. He doesn't have those chores. But he does have to take a break from the hard work of 10 hours a day in his head. And uh, he can only do that if he can't write long-form fiction. Yep. All right, let's go. We got next Ooh. question. Rock and roll. Uh Jason Lombardo asks, yes or no, do you believe I will be able to hear you read GFL Book 7 by Election Day 2024? Uh, can't possibly answer that question right now, hopefully, but we don't know. Next. We hope. Uh, Carissa Logan asks, do you Google yourself? Um, hey -o. <laughs> I also want John's answer. I, I do occasionally, and that's part of part of the marketing way uh the part of the marketing of being in the business in the entertainment business is you do that every now and then you have like a checklist to go look around and see what's going on sometimes if i get uh i get a burr in my saddle about books being pirated or anything like that i'll google that kind of thing and see what i can send over to random house to let their lawyers try and take care of etc but by and large not really uh and every now and then i've, I've gone to wikipedia maybe once every 
year or two to see what's going on there. And it's usually, but it's usually contextual. I don't wake up and go like, I think I'm going to see how I am dominating Wikipedia. I usually like, oh, there's this thing. And then sometimes I Google myself to find answers to shit. Like today, even though I have all the assets, I had to Google, um, I had to Google the rookie Scott Sigler to find the image that I used to send all of you guys as the SMS text and as the social media text to let you know about this particular talk. So that way I do Google myself quite a bit. Can you ask John? Yes. John? I could have told you that there's a Siglerpedia page that has all the, all the uh, <laughs> covers of, the, uh, of every book is, is up there. Uh, including some porn editions. He's like, thing. Jesus, can you just Siglerpedia yourself? <laughs> yeah, I should just Siglerpedia myself. That would, that would work all about it. I've done all this work. All right, next question, baby. All right. Uh, Sean Dyer, who is in the chat room, asks, uh, I was wondering if the Ionath Krakens was the first name picked for Quentin's team, or were there some team names and or planets left on the cutting room floor? No, I think I picked that one. I made up Ionath. I did so many things wrong with the rookie, particularly with the key religion uh you know in particular naming a planet toe the letters t-o one of the most hundred common words in the english language and expecting people to know it's called toe and not two a lot of a lot of stuff that going back in retrospect was was so dumb so dumb but uh ionath i made up sounded like cool planet name and krakens of course uh until a few years ago there were no other sports teams named krakens the krakens or the kraken so, uh, hey, man, go Seattle, but you should have picked orange and black. That's all I can say. All right, next. Uh, Tim Fulton asks, I love this question. How nervous were you at your very first professional book signing? Um, yeah, this may, sound, uh, this may sound arrogant, and I get called arrogant a lot for good reason. Um, probably the most arrogant, but no, that's true. Not really. Uh, it was, it was once I organized a thing, it was the nerve wracking part was going into the store as an unpublished author with just a, well, not a, a big, big, like small independent press author and going into the store and saying, Hey, I have this book. I would like to do a book reading of this book. And that was Borderlands books in San Francisco and going in and asking that question was outside was very nerve wracking. I had a, I had a, I didn't have a binder, but I did have a folder, printed off a bunch of stuff, took Which it all book in. Was it? That was for Earthcore. It was for yeah, Earthcore. Earth so going in and asking for that reading was very nerve wracking. But once I got into there, I am very lucky. I'm very comfortable in front of a crowd. I have no, no problem with crowds whatsoever. So I can't remember how many people were there. Not a lot of people, but it was a piece of cake. And we've done tours over the past 15 years where some, I've had 220 people in a room. And that's a piece of cake. And we've had two people in a room. And that's also a piece of cake. Yeah. So Do you want to talk about good. your first uh, Random House book uh, 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 book signing for Infected? Well, g- give me the summary of that. So you had woken up at like 2 a.m. to do across the country media. Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, God. That was that was. Oh, we should tell that story another time because it's such okay, a long yeah, story. That, uh, yeah. Let's do that. But uh, somebody email me. John, uh, John or no, not John. He's on screen. Uh, Steve, email me. That's like that story is like a solid ten to fifteen minutes of stand up that I could do on stage. Uh, I'll share with you guys sometime. All right, next question. It was it was a rough it was a rough day, my friends. It was a okay, very rough uh, day. John, I'm giving you a heads up. I am reading this question. I think you might need uh, some info. But Glenn Fitch asks, "Hey guys, big fan of the GFL and Hunter Hunterson and Sons. How many stories have been written about Hunter 
Hunterson, and where are they all? Bones are white and blood is red, I know, but also I remember one about a haunted Safeway. Yep. Where is that one? And are there more, please? I can answer that. And real quick, Michael C., your question, can I give you a crypt update? Yes, I can. The crypt book one shakedown has been sent. The final draft has been sent to the publisher. Now we wait on galleys. It's now into the production phase. All of the writing is done. Uh, a bunch of the stuff you heard in the podcast will be part of Crypt Book One, but it's, I wouldn't call it a reboot, more like a reshuffling. You'll see when you read it. That was all a bunch of separate character stories and no central premise. So to sell a book, I need a central premise. So they're on the crypt and they go out. Um, we have Hunter Hunterson and Son War Journal Volume One, which is a uh, ebook. Is it ebook, babe? Yeah, one and two are ebooks. No, one we haven't put out two yet. Oh, sorry. Yes, one. Yeah, Liam, Michael. Clark. Sorry, uh, there's Hunterson and Son War Volume vo- or War, War Journal, Journal Volume, Volume One is out as an ebook. You are right. And an audiobook. Some of those stories no, are. No, I don't in, know if we have an audible. Good. Some of those stories are. Yeah, it's an audible. Okay, it's an audible. Uh, but some of those stories are in Blood Is Red and Bones Are White. Uh, and you are also correct that you have heard this haunted Safeway story. And then we. Every war journal for Hunter Hunterson Sons will be three stories. We have two finished stories. Need to get to the third story at some point to put out uh, volume two. So, yes, we are looking for more with that show. Next question. Uh, so he, he asked, it, it will, how will we find them? So one of the things you need to know, and I, John, you weigh in whenever you want. But what we were doing is we were... Anchoring before now, we were anchoring uh, the color collection stories with one novella, and the novellas were Hunter Hunterson novellas. Once we started to do the war journals, we pulled those out. We have stories that will come out as a short story collection. They probably won't have a Hunter Hunterson in them, so we'll figure out where to put the Haunted Safeway, which is a gorgeous story. But I will also tell you that uh, Scott has in his database something called um, Hunter Hunterson and the Dragon Lady, which has uh, uh, we teeth don't, to we it. Actually, it looks like we don't actually have the ebook, babe. We just have the audiobook. Okay. Yeah. So we'll have to get that fixed, too. That should be up as a Yeah, ebook, we'll get that not. fixed in 2023. But you can uh, see more Hunter Hunterson and Son coming in 2023 for sure. Am I missing um, any stories, John? Uh, I was just going to mention there are a total of six stories. Um in the uh, in the Hunter Hunterson universe, three of them are com- comprised the War-, War Journal Volume One. One was the case of Haunted Safeway that's in the Games Creatures Play uh, short story anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the case of the President of Hell that was in Demons <gasps> of King Solomon, yes. a short story anthology. And then there's a, another one that is that was written and. Uh, read only at Siglerfest in 2017 called The Case of the Rabid Unicorn. Ah, yes. yeah. That, that'll be in... Nelson knows that one very well. Yes, and <laughs> well-deservedly so. Yeah. And so, I put a link in the chat for uh, where you can find each of the books um, and uh, which which each of the stories and which book they're in. If I go to books now real quick, let me call this up for you guys to see it. Of course, over on Siglerpedia, there is Hunter Hunterson's Sun series information characters etc then john as you can see on the screen has all the stories listed where they were first at and then war journal volume one so again when in doubt i know this is hard to remember but not really if you go to scottsigler.com there's a button at the top that says siglerpedia you can always go there it's pretty well up to date you search for the thing you're looking for and when in doubt just just look on amazon and look on audible that's where most of our stuff is going to be next question baby 
Alan, uh, Alan Stevenson asks a GFL question. Wedge formation was used in the last game in the rookie. Will it be banned as it was in the G- in the NFL? Um, that's a very that's a very uh, that's a very inside baseball inside football question. So the wedge formation is when Team A kicks off to Team B. Team B, instead of the guys running downfield to block the oncoming Team A, they kind of form a wedge and go through, and that is now illegal in the NFL. I don't. Think that's in the final version of the rookie, but it is in the it is in the adult version, the original version of the rookie. Because when I wrote the rookie, that was not illegal. So uh, if it is in the final version of the it rookie, isn't. the version that's out now, I don't think it is. Yeah, I'm not. I can't remember. But that is the answer to your question. That was 100% legal when I wrote the book. So when I write the book, the rules that are in the rules that are there now, when I write the goddamn book, is the rules that the GFL has. For example. Um, the two-point conversion wasn't legal when I started writing the book. That wasn't part of the NFL when I started writing the rookie. So we had to adapt for that. All right, next question. Uh, and the, the, touch, you know, the touchback uh, also goes up to the 25-yard line now where mm-hmm. it was at the 20-yard line in the That, in the I think I think the GFL would keep that because of the, the amount of speed they have in the field. They'd probably drop it back to the 15. But And the, and the wedge was in the final rookie. Wasn't the final? Was okay, so that that is still absolutely legal in the GFL. At least it was when the rookie was written. But remember, we're six, year, we're six seasons past that, five seasons past uh, Sean Dyer says the wedge was re-legalized once aliens got added to the game. Correct. Boom, problem solved. Thank you. Boom, problem solved. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Crystal right. Carter asked you, what is the hardest thing about your job writing and what is the easiest? Uh, first of all, people out there trying to guess the name of GFL Book 7, good sports, good job. You, uh, I will not tell you whether you're right or you're wrong. As far as when that will be on Audible, the GFL Book 7 will not be on Audible or available in print or ebook for a while. We will start to warn you when it's getting closer. What was the question again? I already forgot. It was Crystal Carter asked, what was the hardest thing uh, about your writing career and what is the easiest? The hardest thing, oh, but it's, uh, the hardest thing, let's go back to me. This will sound weird. I think the hardest thing about the writing career was understanding when I had made it and didn't need to be so angry and upset all the time at, at all of the things that I was fighting for that, that I, that I wasn't getting. So, you know, I don't have anything adapted for a movie or a TV show yet. And that has been uh, something that I, it's not exactly a bitter pill, but it's been a constant goal that I've been working at very hard for a long time. But now finally understanding like, you know what, if I never get that, that's unfortunate, but it's not that big of a deal. At this point, we have we, we have very simple lifestyle. Our house is paid for, car paid for. We have health insurance. We're out of debt. Boom. That's it. And so I've gotten a lot better at the, the thing that was hardest was accepting like, yes, we have done a great job at this. And we have an incredible audience of dedicated, brilliant, wonderful people who love to experience our stories and interact with us in situations like this. And I have a career that even, uh, you know, even some of the biggest, richest writers on the planet don't, they don't have this because they haven't built their career on their fans and interacting with their fans and building a community. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we even knew that was a thing, we built a big community and that has carried us through everything. So the hardest thing was accepting, like, you can calm the fuck down and smile a little bit more because it's, you know, you can, you don't have to be in a fight every day, every minute of every day. And the easiest thing, um, 
I don't think there's anything easy about this business. Like, I, I, Just I say, like every job everybody has. Some days are great, some days are not, right? Yeah, I, there's, there's not one easy thing about this business whatsoever. The easiest thing is uh, wearing pants is an option. That's the easiest thing. I don't have to wear pants if I don't want to. So there's that. All right, baby, next question. This is easy. It's a, an A-B question. Okay. The Talisman or Fahrenheit 451 from... Oh, I thought Muhammad. it was a question about you. Yeah, I did too. I did too. All right, let's go around from the From Muhammad Ray, the Talisman or Fahrenheit 451? Fahrenheit 451. The a? Talisman. John? Fahrenheit 451. There you go. I love it. All right, next question. This is from Joseph Alred, who is our good friend. Uh, right. He says, one, clowns as antagonists. Not an evil clown like Pennywise oh. or the Joker, but somebody who has and finds comfort in the attire. He has his other evil stuff that drives him through the story. Do you think clowns are played out for the time being? Uh, have you read Chuckles Mulroney, Attorney for the Damned, sir? I think that's why he's asking. <laughs> oh, question, no, I don't think clowns are played out because they are they're alien. Clowns are aliens that we can talk to and look and touch, but when in, someone focuses on the clown part of the person in fiction, that is, by and large, that is an alien creature, a mythological creature. There's a ton of stuff you can do with it. I don't think, you know, just like a dude in a mask with a machete, that's always going to be scary to some context, and a dude in a clown outfit is always going to be scary. They're, they're popular in video games, they're popular in movies, so I don't think it's been played out enough yet. There you go. And, oh, excuse me, Joseph, yeah. I'll answer your second question, which is, is there a way to still download the Crypt Book 1? And my answer is, I hope the fuck not. No, I no. hope the fuck not, because we sold it to somebody else. So yeah. I hope the fuck not. The Crypt Book 1 no longer exists. You guys could consider that a, a series of character studies for characters that will appear in the actual Crypt Book 1, which is going to be out published by Athon Books sometime in 2023. Yeah. All right. And if you guys find it, if you love us, please let us know. This is a question for all three of us, I think. All right. Theo Conway asks, A or B, Kirk or Picard? Ooh, man. I'll go first. All Picard. Right. Ooh. Picard all the way down. John? Picard. Ah, uh, man, that's tough. Uh, I love Picard's voice. <laughs> but uh, I'd have to go with the action-packed Kirk. I, I've got to go... I've got to go with Kirk because without Shatner's rendition of Kirk, I don't think we ever have a Picard. A hundred percent. Or a bumper puff. I, or, yeah, I agree with both we of those. We do not have a bumper puff. I agree with both of those. I'm still sticking with my No, answer. I I think by and large, the Picard's a much more nuanced, incredibly well-acted character. But, you know, everybody's known a James T. Kirk in their life. And you know what? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes those and guys get shit done. deserves to know. Kirk's, Kirk's get shit done. Whether you like him or not, stuff yep. gets done. 100%. What about Cisco David Lamb? That's a smooth motherfucker right there. That's a, that's a good question. I still got to go. What about Janeway? With a, oh, Janeway was the boss. Janeway. Janeway was the boss. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of wonderful talent in that, in that whole franchise. But without Kirk, there's none of them. Next question. David Stubblefield asks, I think this is a question for me, actually. Okay. Uh, I find that the rookie in the adult version, I enjoy better. I know most of the later books are why I will you yep. ever make them in adult versions. 1,000% no. No. And here's the reason. I understand you and I appreciate you. And that's why we ran this again, this, this adult version again. But no, because it isn't as easy as just find and replace fuck for shuck. 
yeah. or shit for shuck or whatever. It yeah. isn't like that. You have to change the timber, which means rewriting every book. And he rewrote The Rookie to make it a YA version, and it took six months. Yeah, so you time. can either get new fiction, which takes six months, or you can get this again. And yeah. we're never going to do that again. The so answer no, is, the answer the answer is, is no. no. Unfortunately, not at all. Next question. But I don't disagree with you. Um, Vera Everett asks, do you have any strange writing habits or superstitions? Man. And okay, this is a question on. I would love to ask John, too, well, because got... he, he has a protocol every time he reads a draft. Okay, well, let's John about in a second. Uh, writing habits, uh, tons of them, and developing new ones all the time. The new writing habit is when I'm actually working on a book, I have a, a PC laptop that is on my desk. It is there when the morning starts and the desk is clean. There's nothing else on the desk, and my computer and my phone are in another room. So that is part of the writing rich. There are many writing rituals. They come and they go. As far as uh, what was the other part of that question? Shoot, uh, um, or superstitions? No, I don't. Have, I have all kinds of superstitions with sports. I have zero superstitions with writing. What and about we, you, John? Um, I don't have any writing superstitions. Well, I mean, like <laughs> editing. When you get ready to edit a new book, is there? Do you need new pencils? Do you anything? No, I, I have. Uh, I, I posted a picture of my editing setup uh, a while back, um, and, and basically, what I have to do is I open up my electronic books repository so I can search through books as I need that I need. I usually have a stack of the, the GFL books here so I can um, look through them uh, and including the, the color inserts, which are a little harder to come by. And there's sure. a lot of rich information in those that um, sometimes gets overlooked. Um, and then I, uh, depending on what version of the, uh, of the, of the book um, or the draft that I'm looking at, I may do a word comparison between the two to see what's been changed between each revision um, and not just look at the edits. Um, but yeah, it's, I've got a, I've got about a, a day of prep before I get actually into each book um, okay. just where I get all my ducks in a row and make sure that I've got everything ready to go. So we've got a couple, probably room for a couple, two, three more questions. So I'm going to ask them strategically. And this one is for both of you. In the pod, this is from David Roman, who's a very, very long time junkie. He's a great, good guy. He's a photographer. He's wonderful. David Roman asks, in the podcast version being streamed right now, the R-rated one, I noticed that when they jump, Q doesn't have a puke bucket. Yeah. Uh, When and why... That plot point was added to the when and why was that plot point added to the young adult version? Um, well, when I rewrote the rewrote it for the young adult version, um, I think I started to get uh, delve a little bit more into super player superstitions, and also thought it'd be really is a fun thing. I wasn't aware of any science fiction properties that had a a character get motion sick. Like if you've ever been a plane, the evil queen at the time, we when we traveled, she was always motion sick. And I just, thought, I just thought it'd be interesting, like, yeah, you can travel other planets, but still people throw up, need a barf bucket because you can't handle doing that kind of travel. That was it. Just trying to throw some interesting things in. And uh, Quentin having to pee a lot was probably in both books. But as an athlete who had to pee before he wrestled every match, it was very frustrating. All right, cool. Next question. John? No, no, no. Oh, John, John I, think, I, I think John might have an actual oh, yeah. answer to this or no? Uh, 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 a question I didn't. So I, th- <laughs> I think the difference between the two is when he was rewriting the um, the YA edition, there was a Vols player, Tennessee Vols player, who threw up on the field. 
Okay. Oh. You told me about this. And then remember. in Any Given Sunday, uh, Jamie Foxx. Yeah, Jamie, J- Jamie Foxx. Any Given Sunday definitely had some influence on the series. Yeah, yeah. Was fantastic and that, in that. that yeah. was one no, of the big changes. That. Yeah. So Jamie Foxx gets nervous and, and, and I don't, I don't, I think he pukes on the field. Yeah, he totally pukes on the field. Yeah. And so did uh, Jeremiah Crawford, who was a Vols player, which is, I, I think, where uh, Any Given Sunday got it. But cool. that was before your, your uh, original version. Okay. So we have a couple more questions. Let's do two more. Um, Jared Miller asks, re-listening to the adult version of The Rookie, I realized I had forgotten how much fun it was to hear the references to the lowly sky demolition. <laughs> it prompted a question. Sure. We know there is relegation from Tier 1 to Tier 2 for the last, the two last place teams. Is there anything similar that sends bottom-rung Tier 2 teams down to Tier 3? Or are Tier 3 leagues not as interconnected to Tier 1 and Tier 2. I'm sure this is discussed in the later books, but it's been quite a while since I've been back through the series. Also... Go, I'll let, oh, go ahead. That's I'll turn, turn that one over to John. John, do we have... Is a relegation between 2 and 3? Uh, between 2 and 3? I, I Nothing comes to mind. I can look into that. Yeah, um, but I, I don't it. recall it being discussed. I believe there there absolutely should be... There must I, be, I right? think I... Well, because that... The whole the whole promotion relegation is modeled after, you know, English soccer EPL and, and other European leagues. And it's just the most amazing thing for a larger pro franchise. So I believe that there is, I can't tell you exactly where it is specified. What's the second part of the question, baby? Uh, it was a different question, which oh. is also, are there semi-frequent, there are semi-frequent references to gin and tonics parallel with references to junkie gin. Was this a nod to Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. It, it could <gasps> really? be, but I, that probably was not intentional at all. I mean, gin and tonic is in a lot of, Fiction and movies and also a lot of bars. So that's very possible, but I can't say for sure that it was. So do you want me to finish asking questions or thank John for joining? Because the last question is very specific to you. Yeah, well, let's go back to go to ACAM and go to our guest camp. John, thank you so much. Awesome. By the way, those of you, if you have not bought a hardcover copy of The Gangster or The Gangster, for you smart ass motherfuckers out there, <laughs> the gorgeous graphic behind John's head, that is the map of the, Gal- of the Milky Way in the Galactic Football League and also in the crypt. And that is f- yours for free when you buy a hardcover version of The Gangster, the signed, numbered, limited edition version of The Gangster, which you can get at scottsigler.com. The Gangster, one word, or go to scottsigler.com slash books, and you can go find it. You can buy it from there. We ship that out ourselves. You will get this free poster. It is tasty, delicious, and smells Created by Scott Pond. Beautiful, beautiful work. Absolutely. I was just uh, about to say, uh, the Sigliverse absolutely takes a village. Uh, We do nothing without John Viscara. He is so integral to the success of of Scott's fiction and our business. Huge. As are Scott and Tori Pond. Scott designs uh, so much. Scott Pond designs so much of the graphics you see in the Sigliverse, and he designed this beautiful thing. And his luminous wife, Tori, ships out every single one of these posters to you guys. And... uh, uh, we love them to death. We love you, John, to death. Thank you so much for joining us. Will you join us next, <laughs> next week, too? Yeah, sure. Cool. cool, cool thank cool. you so much. We're going to do this All right. again. We are going thank to uh, just love you. go back to Maine. You. Hang up on John. Good day, sir. We love sir. you. Uh, 4X, uh, no, there are no NFTs yet, nor will there be any NFTs. Yeah. I am. Look, man, if people want to put on NFTs, people buy them, people love them, that's awesome. I feel like it is... For us, it's kind of a kind of a cash grab. Yeah, if this I come is up with a, if I come up with a digital image, you guys are going to be able to have that digital image 
for free. We uh, do this for free, and we've been doing it for two and a half years. So that's really that's really not for us. Also, we have concerns <coughs> that because uh, of the way prices of NFTs can spike up, that we may have listeners that aren't old enough to understand what the hell is going on and might spend a lot of money, and that could cause problems. It's just not for us. Jason Next. Brown, we mentioned NaNoWriMo at the beginning of the hour. Scott did not participate, but oh, if okay. you did, congratulations. Uh, and I, I understand you didn't uh, quite get to your finish, <laughs> but any writing is good writing. Edward, so uh, we, we, do you recognize, does Edward Clink have a question or see you next week? Uh, come answer my question. I, it might have been up again. Uh, uh, Edward, Edward you... e- email that to info at empty set, because if you put it in the chat, I, I didn't we see didn't it because everything. we have zillions of questions yes. so and email you, that and I'll, and I'll I'll ask it next week and he can answer it if you already emailed it and we haven't got to it we'll probably get to it next week we'll do For the sure. best we can but please right. repeat it just go ahead and send it again so the last question because we're just about out of time John Potts asked if you had the opportunity to live one life or one year of your life over again hmm. which year would it have been <clears throat> gosh uh, it, it's hard to answer this question without seeming like a bit of a cad. Perhaps. I know, and, and you don't get any other following information. You don't say, you don't even know, like, does everything change once you live that life again? Uh, if I could live a year of my life, like, live the same year Thank over you, to experience it or bring the breadth of knowledge I have now back to then, I have to think it would probably be my freshman year of college uh, and... Uh, Going back to college and and knowing what I know now about talking to people that I am attracted to would have been a very very different I think a very different a very different experience <laughs> in a world where a man gets to go back to college for the second time uh, it would have I think and that's that's the silly thing uh, the one thing I the one thing I do wish we could do again is I was so small as a kid that my parents sort of held me back a no. No, they were considering waiting a year to put me into school to start with. And then once I started school, fortunately for me, fairly smart, did great in school, had a great time. And then I was, you know, I was a good, like, 30 to 40 pounds smaller than people my own age throughout. And that extra year of growth would have translated to a much more successful football career if I'd had that extra 20 pounds I gained when I went on to college. Uh, you know, that that would have made... It's, it's, when you play... When you play your, Freshman year at 98 pounds, things are tough. And my junior year is like, junior year of, of, of football is 120 pounds. It's not made for people like me. But if I had had that year to do over again, if I'd started school a year uh, later, I would have been 150 pounds, 100, maybe even 160 if I'd worked hard enough. And that difference in high school can can have a dramatic, dramatic impact on how you do in high school. So that's it. There you go. So you guys know we'll be back next week. We have another zillion questions. That said, if you asked a question in this chat room and there's a, you know, there's time for us to answer it next week, go ahead and email. We're going to do a supersized episode again. It's probably going to be 90 minutes long so we can answer some of these questions. These same questions will be in the podcast feed on Sunday. So uh, <laughs> if you've already heard them live, you, you know, deal with that. Uh, otherwise, we'll be back next week, which is um, December, I think, 7th. I'm not really sure which it is um uh, december 7th uh which is the second rookie q a we're gonna do that and uh we love you we thank you for all the questions we love hanging out with you guys and obviously this is sigler in place so we want you always, always 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 want you to stay smart 
We absolutely need you to stay science, guys. It's about to be winter in the northern. <laughs> it's about to be winter in the northern hemisphere. Things are getting. I thought rough. you were gonna. I thought you were gonna stop after stay science, and I was like, I made the cut. I made the cut. And then we want you, for the love of science, to please, please. stay informed. Listen to people who study science for a living, not the people who are trying to get clicks shitting on the people who study science for Stay a living. Safe, that guys. is what we want from you guys. Come back next week. This is super fun. Hot, hot, the hottest stuff in the birthday is coming for you in January. And happy, happy birthday, birthday to happy. you, Scott Now, Sinclair. I'm just a small town pizza birthday boy. But... <laughs> all right, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. We want you all to go kiss off into the sky. Let me go here, and then we go here. And... You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon, superweaponband.com. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.